So in, in Esther chapter 3, it begins with the same three words from chapter 2. After these things. In chapter 2 when it began with after these things, well, these things were the, 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 the festivals and the feasts that King Ahasuerus put on and, and all due to an agenda that he wanted to start a war and he wanted to get all the 127 provinces of the kingdom uh, on his side uh, to go to this war. And, and things got out of hand and he was trying to do something... Uh, by way of bringing the queen in uh, among the men, and she refused the orders of the king, and she had to go. It was due to her modesty, but she had to go. And, and so after these things, we got into chapter 2. And, and so what does it mean after these things in chapter 3? It's those things from chapter 2. You had... You had the king who had gone off to war. He had lost his battle. He had, he had lost much at war. And, and he had lost his, his wife, Queen Vashti. And, and so he was remembering Vashti. And his servants got a little uneasy about it. And, and they had to come up with some kind of plan to do something to suffice the king. So they planned a search committee for a queen, and it was going to be a year-long process. And they would, they would go out, the servants would, and they would find women who seemed like they could potentially fit being the queen. And they went through a, a six-month process of oil treatments. They went through a six-month process of foo-foo juice, I would call it, that they put on and put the makeup on them and, and did all of these things and got them ready uh, to present to the king. And long story short there, it was Esther who became the queen and, and her guardian who adopted her, Mordecai, he became a judge. He took care of the king's business along with others at the gate. And the king's life was saved from a plot that was going against him to kill him that Mordecai overheard and Mordecai reported it to the queen and the queen reported from Mordecai to the king about his life being plotted for murder. It was stopped and his life was saved. And so some years passed between chapter 1 and chapter 2, and we have some more years passing between chapter uh, 2 and chapter 3. And so Esther has been the queen for a while now. Mordecai has been taking care of business at the king's gate. The Jews are scattered throughout the land, and they find themselves in danger of being killed because of one man and his hatred for the Jews. And that man is going to be the subject for our message tonight. And his name is Haman. 
And I mentioned Haman briefly in the introductory message and all I said about Haman was that he was a man who hated the Jews. The king promoted Haman. Haman uh, got, got the promotion from the king. He is a man who hated all the Jewish people. You know, there, there, was, uh, there, have, there has always been a movement against the Jews. You had Hitler and his group do what they did against the Jews, but nevertheless Hitler and his group have died and the people Israel continue on today. There's always someone trying to exterminate the Jews. And here we have where it was where it was Haman's attempt to get rid of them and we learn of what a dangerous man he is in this chapter. I would I would love to talk about someone like the apostle John again that we shared Sunday morning. I mean, to, to read and to learn and, and to really try to enter into the experience and understand the experience that John had with Jesus. Look, that'll make us a better Christian. We learn from some people everything we want to be. And that is valuable. And it's, all, and it's usually a positive message. But we learn from some people everything that we do not want to be. And that is a very valuable lesson as well. It may come across negative or sound negative, but it's valuable for us. And by the way, we, you know, this is Bible study. We don't really have a, a sermon tonight, but we're going to go through these verses and we're going to learn from them. With, with Haman, it's the latter. We learn from him everything that we don't want to be. And that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to look at, learn about Haman. And so let's look at his past in the first half of verse 1. It says, After these things, which we just skimmed over and covered, did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite. So Haman was an Agagite. This most likely started with King Agag. You know, King Agag shouldn't have been anymore. If you go back to 1 Samuel and you, and you read on King Saul, you know, King Saul was supposed to take out all of the Amalekites, the men, the women, the children, the king, everything, but he, he held back the king. And he saved the king. He compromised. And from him, we have a group of people called the Agagites, which is where Haman came from. And after we learn about Haman tonight, you're going to realize why God wanted all the Amalekites taken out. And, and by the way, how can I mention that without qualifying it? That God commanded that an entire group of people be killed. Well, the foreknowledge of God. God knew that these people were never going to turn to Him. No, no, no other human being can make that decision. But God can make that decision in His foreknowledge. And, and so we see, we're going to see from Haman tonight, 
what, what they would have all been about continually. Everything about Haman is hateful. Unfortunately, all the things in his life we're going to see throughout this chapter. I'm not going to reference them, but, but you just think about Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. I'm going to read it, and it speaks... Well, I'm going to read the, the, the seven things that the Lord hates. Uh, six things that the Lord hates, seven are an abomination. And one of them is a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, God hates the thought life, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. God hates these things. Let us keep these characteristics in mind as we talk about Haman tonight. These things that are hated by God, we're going to see them in Haman. You know, and, and, and something else also to consider tonight is that, is that Esther has become the queen. And this is something that we're going to start seeing is very important for the Jewish people that are scattered throughout the land. So there's a little bit of Haman's past. Now let's look at his power in the second part of verse 1. So, so uh, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. The king decided to make Haman a chief officer of his empire. You know, Mordecai, he just saved the king's life, that's all, and didn't get any credit for it or anything like that. Mordecai had done good deeds already. Haman had not done one good deed, and yet we find him being the one that is promoted. Why is Haman promoted? He must have been one of those flatterers. He was one of those with an agenda, and, and he was a flatterer. He, I mean, he didn't want the best for the kingdom. If, if the king was going to use him, he needed to care for the kingdom, and he didn't care about the kingdom at all. We, we find that actually the king and Haman are two peas in the pod. They both have agendas. They both are trying to do everything they can to flatter and, and do whatever they can do in order to fulfill their agenda. He, did, he wasn't interested in the well-being of the, of the kingdom. He wanted power and he wanted authority to be able to act upon his hatred for those Jews that were within the kingdom, that were spread throughout. And you know, we've, as we look back through King Ahasuerus, we see that, I mean, he had a weak side to him. He had, he had a weak spot that you could get to. And Haman knew that, and Haman got to him somehow, and he got put in a position of authority. You know, a lot of people desire authority, but the thing about authority, it comes with a test. And, and we, we fail the test 
when we use that authority for self. We pass the test when we use it to help others. Take Daniel of the Old Testament. Daniel and his authority. He was a humble man of God. He was good for the people and he honored the Lord. Haman was a prideful man of the world with an evil agenda. He wanted to get into his position of power to destroy a group of people. But let's look at his possessiveness now in verses 2 through 6. It says, And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. Then the king's servants, which were in the king's gate, said unto Mordecai, Why transgressest thou the king's commandments? Now it came to pass, when they spake daily unto him, and he hearkened not unto them, that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand. For he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. And he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had showed him the people of Mordecai. Wherefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the people of Mordecai. Here we see the beginning of his wicked steps that, that he has. I mean, I mean, he wasn't even worthy of the office that he was given. But he had to have more than that. He got the office and he wanted to make sure he got all of the recognition that he was supposed to give. The servants, the princes under him, they all bowed down to him. But one was standing up. And he would have done well just to leave it alone. But he wanted all the reverence and all the homage paid to him that, that he could possibly get. I mean, he wasn't respected. He schemed his way into position. He was blinded by his pride. And it made him want even more than he had when he didn't deserve any of it at all. He was in pursuit of more when he wasn't the kind of person who deserved it. But his pride blinded him. His vanity motivated his agenda to get what he could, though he was in no condition to be the leader. Mordecai wasn't falling for his shenanigans. He refused to pay homage. He refused to show respect to Haman. His Jewish background comes into play now. Up to this point, nothing has been said or known of Mordecai or Esther and them being Jewish. And I kind of gave them a hard time in the beginning of, of this book and, and how that they obviously hid it if the people didn't know it, so how were they keeping the law of Moses? Everything wasn't just right and in the will of God. Remember, this book is about the providence of God, not the will of God. But here we see 
quite a turn that has taken place in Mordecai. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they would not bow down to the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now Mordecai would not bow down to Haman. And it's been made known through these verses we just read that Mordecai, it's been made known that he is a Jew now. And... And so we have Mordecai who gets targeted by Haman. Haman is swelling with anger over him and his opposition of him, which was probably Haman's insecurity causing him to do that. But Mordecai sticks to his righteous convictions and he continued to stand against Haman. He didn't compromise. Look what happened when King Saul compromised. And he didn't follow through with all of the instructions of God against the Amalekites. Mordecai is not going to compromise here. And it was going to cost him something. And he was willing to pay the price. You know, King Saul compromised and he lost his crown. Then you have Mordecai who's not compromising and he's going to gain a crown. Everybody bowed down to Haman at the command of the king to do so. Mordecai stands up. He stands up boldly. Somebody said even a dead fish can go with the flow. But but who will stand for what is right? We need less dead fish Christians. Amen? To stand for what is right. To stand for righteous convictions even when it's not popular. Mordecai did this. Mordecai took a courageous stand as a man of God against what was wrong. And as a result, Haman hated Mordecai, which further proved Mordecai right in his stance. Haman is swelling with desire for revenge. His character is showing that he's in a position that he doesn't belong in, that he doesn't deserve. Mordecai, on the, other stand, on the other hand, took his stand for God no matter what it was going to cost him. He stood against wicked Haman and his evil possessiveness and power. But let's look at verses 7 through 15 now, and we're going to look at Haman's persuasion with the king. In the first month, that is the the month uh, Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast Pur, that is the lot, before Haman from day to day and from month to month to the twelfth month, that is the month Adar. And Haman said unto King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people. Neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore it is not for the king's prophet to suffer them. If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed." And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those that have the charge of the business to bring it into the king's treasuries. And the king took his ring from his hand and gave it unto Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the Jews' enemy. 
And the king said unto Haman, The silver is given to thee, the people also, to do with them as it seemeth good to thee. Then were the king's scribes called on the thirteenth day of the first month, and there was written according to all that Haman had commanded unto the king's lieutenants and to the governors that were over every province and to the rulers of every people of every province according to the writing thereof and to every people after their language. In the name of King Ahasuerus was it written and sealed with the king's ring. And the letters were sent by posts into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, even upon the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month Adar, to take the spoil of them for a prey." The copy of the writing for a commandment to be given in every province was published unto all people that they should be ready against that day. The posts went out being hastened by the king's commandment and the decree was given in Shushan the palace. And we will stop right there and take a look at Haman at work and his juggling of his agenda with the king. In verse 7, we, we see that he has cast lots in order to figure out what day that was going to be that, that he was going to kill all of the Jews. And, and the thing about him casting lots is that ended up on a very late day. That was almost a year away, the day that came up. Somebody who works by agenda and shimshams, they want to do so in an urgency. They want to get things done really quick, usually. So, so I see this as working against him. But the thing about it, he has not even asked the king for permission to carry this out yet. And he's already deciding the day that he's going to do it. When we have our own agenda, I, I mean, we just play by our own set of rules and we get to juggling everything to where it's going to work out good for us. Uh, we see his, his wicked steps here and his plan to destroy the Jews. You know, He just wants to mow over them. He doesn't like them. You know, God's people reconcile. But when you have someone like Haman here, you see that he just wants to destroy those who are in his way. He doesn't care about the kingdom. He cares about his own passions. He has casted lots uh, before even talking to the king about it. And, and we have to see God's hand of providence even in that casting of lots, that it is such a late day and so far away that, that he has before he can take out the Jews. God overruled in that casting of lots, which put the massacre so far away. You know, the schemers work by urgency, but he wasn't able to work by urgency. And there was a lot of time for Haman to be stopped. So we see his picking of the day in verse 7. But then throughout this, we also see 
his manipulation. Haman is not even telling the king the specific people group. He is just saying a certain people who doesn't live by your laws, who lives by a different set of laws. He gave a very general description of these people that he wanted to take out. The pe- it, it was God's people who lived according to God's law. I mean, that even persuaded King Nebuchadnezzar after things were said and done. So who knows what might have happened if he would have went into detail about it. But we see his manipulation and and leaving it very vague and very general and getting his permission from the king. But we also see his exaggeration from what we know. You have one man who disobeyed one command. Mordecai didn't bow down at the command of the king before Haman. That's one man and one command. But yet, what what is Haman saying? He's talking about an entire people group who do not live by your laws, who are obeying a different set of laws. He even used his own wealth to try to carry this out. He was willing, he, he must have been a wealthy man, Haman was, because he was willing to give up 10,000 talents of silver in order for this to take place. Maybe he thought the king needed to recoup from his losses from war. I mean, the, key, the king was never short on wealth, but maybe he thought the war losses, he'd like to recoup that. History says that the annual income for the entire Persian empire was 15,000 talents of silver, and that's in one year. And here on the spot, Haman is is offering 10,000 talents of silver just to be able to get this done. Man, a a passion for killing. You know, whether, whether it be either way, you think about Planned Parenthood and the last presidency we had before this one. And within the first month of that presidency, Planned Parenthood was approached and offered a large sum of money to get rid of their abortion division. Not to shut down, just to get rid of that division. And it was, the news was open to the world. They were glad to quickly say within 24 hours, affirm no, we will not do that for all of the money that you're offering. Man, there's, there's, a, there's a passion for murder out there. It was then, it is today. It appears the king refused the money, but gave Haman the okay to kill the people. He gave Haman his ring. And that ring would put a certain impression into hot wax. And and that impression upon the hot wax said that that is the king's authority. Whatever is said uh, uh, upon that being bound with the hot wax, with the ring impression, it is from the king, and it's to be obeyed, and it's to be done. What a foolish decision for the king. 
It seems to be his pattern. It seems to be that he acts first and regrets later. He needed somebody strong under him. And yet, a bad decision, he has Haman. And you know, and and so this decree, this law that's passing, is about killing the Jews. And neither the king nor Haman at this time know that the queen is a Jewish woman. And what is happening here? And so, and so as we consider what's going on here, and neither the king nor Haman knowing about the queen, uh, we also see that it couldn't take place for almost a year. But through these verses we read, we see a busy man, Haman. I, I talked about those who have schemes, they want to work urgent, urgently. They want, they want to work quickly. You know, as in being afraid the king will change his mind. If he could get that law passed, if he could get it signed, sealed, and delivered, then under Persian law, you cannot reverse a law. So he's trying to get this done real fast. Think of all the languages that this law had to go out in and all of the busyness of Haman to get this done and having everything in place and authority confirmed before there was the changing of mind. 127 provinces, and he's busy at work getting this done. He does all that he does here with a depraved desire to kill. You know, it, it must be exhausting to operate in an insincere way with cover-ups, deceptions, and lies. That, that just has to be exhausting. It's, it's to maneuver quickly instead of honestly. To get what self wants instead of doing what's right. Haman has these fake reactions to everything that comes up. He can't be trusted, you know, and, and I'm tempted to ask, How long is someone able to live like that? How long can someone go on living like that in these kind of schemes and these kind of ways? Well, we find out later that though this is is almost 12 months till this decree can be taken out, we're going to find out that within three months, Haman, the one who wanted them killed in 12 months, he's going to die. He's going to lose his life within three months. So, some just don't need to be genuine in what they do. It just needs to benefit self. And that's their motivation. We've learned, we've learned the king was that way. Now we learn that Haman is that way. But Haman has out-shimshammed the old shimshammer. And this law cannot be reversed now. But but the next portion and the end of it, I'm going to call the perishing. The end of verse 15. After all of this was done, and you know, the king's an accomplice. Haman's done it all, but the king gave the okay. and, And they have an okay to kill an entire group of people. And it says, and the king and Haman sat down to drink. But the city, Shushan, was perplexed. Haman has passed out a death warrant for a multitude of innocent people. The king approves it 
And then they sit down and have cocktails together. Talk about a seared conscience. We see how calloused the heart can get. And how some, how some are so blind to the attributes of God. I mean, He sees everything. And He knows everything. He knows the motive. God is on His throne observing all of the plots and the schemes of man and every situation from beginning to end. No motive is hidden from Him. And we must all never forget that. Haman issuing a death warrant for thousands a year away Though he's going to, and now he's going to die within three months. Do we take a warning about having a prejudice against the people of Israel that we wouldn't do that? We must be careful. We must be careful concerning a desire for revenge. You know, that, that desire for revenge, we're warned to not get revenge. Therefore, we must be tempted to do so. What happens when the Christian feeds that? Because I think that's something that Christians sometimes take very likely. Man, you, you get a hot head and, and, and out the window goes the command that the Lord says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And so a, a desire for revenge, what comes with that? You know, a loss of care. For the human being, you know, in the last days and perilous times, they'll be without natural affection. There, there is a loss of care from one to another these days. It's worse than I've ever seen in my lifetime. You know, you, you think about the parable of the Good Samaritan and the priest and the Levite, and they just passed by that dying man and didn't do anything to help him. Didn't bother to help him in any way. A desire for revenge. It causes, it causes an apathy toward, toward others. I believe there's long time, long time effects that we don't think about with an explosion of, of a desire for revenge and holding on to it and giving in to it. I mean, the world is in a place today uh, of having uh, of their, uh, of an, a situation with apathy. There is a greater lack of concern for others today that, than I've ever seen. How, how would that affect the Christian? Because I don't think we need a lecture here tonight not to go out and kill people, not to go out and find a group of people we don't like and we're going to kill them. I don't think we need that. But how does this affect us today? You know, we're in the world, and we're, but, uh, but we're not of the world. But, but the world tries to have an effect on us. What effect might that be upon us today? This, this desire for a revenge, this, this lack of love in the world. How, how about this? Could it be a lack of desire for witnessing for Jesus Christ, could we lose that? Could we lose the passion in our souls for lost people who when they die, they're going to go to hell and be separated from God for eternity? If we lose 
that passion, then, then we're done. We're done. We have to have a desire to see lost souls saved. We need that, that, that good old heartfelt longing that might even cause us to chase some people down to tell them about the free gift of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we becoming unconcerned for the souls of others? That's something, that's something to seek the Lord in right quick if we're not. Something for us to think about. As we close and we consider the Jews being targeted here tonight in this chapter, the Jews targeted as the enemy of the kingdom, the enemy of Haman, who had a plan to destroy them. You know, thing, things aren't looking good in one sense. You might look at that and say, wow, there are some Jews scattered throughout the land. Haman got it passed that they're going to be killed and they're going, to, they're going to take up all these princes and all these servants in high up positions, and, and they're going to follow through with that, and they're going to get rid of them in one day. Things aren't looking good in one sense, but in another sense, all hope is not lost. God has two people in place. God has Queen Esther in place, and God has Mordecai in place. God was ready for Haman, the king, and, the, and all of the provinces to come against him and his two servants. It's good to be on God's side. It's good to have him. The Jews are outnumbered, but if God be for us, who can be against us? You know, we began this study, and through chapter 1, we were introduced through corruption into these events that have taken place. Everything was worldly. Everything was ungodly with the king and his six months of festivals and his seven-day feast and his agenda and, and what happened with, with the queen Vashti. And she was gone. He goes to war and lose the war. We, we entered this through a corrupt chain of events. And we also mentioned in the beginning... The providence of God, as in, as in what? This isn't fitting. Well, there's a queen seated next to a throne. And she's going to have the means and the ability to be used to see all of these Jews saved. The providence of God is no doubt at work and has been working here the entire time. And some of you have heard my, my favorite example of the providence of God. Some of you haven't. I'll try to meet you in the middle and just give you a short version so some of you don't have to hear it again. But I, I listened to a man in person give a testimony. He lived down in the southern states. He loved the south. And all of a sudden, he has a prompting on his heart to move to Maine. He loved the South, never wanted to go north. But he can't get over this conviction that he needs to obey and move to Maine. He moves to Maine. His wife gets hit with a very rare disease. And guess where the very best treatment 
for that disease is. Not only in Maine, but it's 30 minutes from where he moved to. And I'll never forget the time that that just set the providence of God in my heart and mind and understanding. And the providence of God was not just going on for the Jews in that day. It wasn't just going on about 20 years ago for this man who moved to Maine. But the providence of God is at work in our lives today. And, and consider, example, or what we have going on here, the things that, that seem to be so rough in the midst of God working out His providence in our lives. We can hang in there and we can trust the Lord. No matter what the current situation seems to be, God has a plan for all of His people and we can claim every one of His promises in the midst of whatever the current situation looks like. Never count out the providence of God. Amen? Well, with that, we're going to close in a, in a word of prayer. And it was good to see you in God's house tonight. And uh, don't forget to pray for us tomorrow night at the villas and then Friday night here. Uh, we're, we're hoping for a good turnout uh, for youth night. And I'm going to ask